discouraged and it seemed like everybody's sick with something or getting sick with something or the world's telling us we're going to get sick with something, y'all just hang in there, man. Just hang, hang, hang tight with Jesus Christ and don't give up. Amen? Don't, lose your, don't let the world take your joy. I have joy in Jesus Christ. And the reason why I have joy in Jesus Christ is because I'm saved. Amen. Amen. I know whatever happens to me, I know I'm going on to heaven. Yeah, I believe that. I don't just talk about it and preach about it. I really believe I'm going to heaven. My mom's up in heaven. Brother Raymond's up in heaven. Brother Jerry, we just buried him. He went up to heaven recently. Sister Alice is up in heaven. I have so many loved ones. They're up in heaven right now. I can't wait to see them again. But most importantly, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is up in heaven. That, that's what it's all about. All right, Psalm 78. If you can find Psalm 78, look at verse... 40. We're going to start there at verse 40. Psalms 78, verse 40. Let me move some of this stuff around here. Psalm 78, verse 40. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse 40. Now the whole context of this is a history of Israel. And how Israel was brought out of the land of Egypt and what they did in the wilderness. And at the end, y'all know the story. When they were in the wilderness, all they did is gripe and complain the whole time. God's doing all these miracles around them. God brought them out with an amazing miracle. And we're about to read those. And he's doing all this stuff for them. And he did all the miracles in Egypt. Then he brings them out and does great miracles. When he's going in, he says, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And they got to complaining and griping and belly aching. That's why I just said, hey, we're promised the promised land. Amen. And it's so easy for us to get in this world. And we're like, oh, Lord, you just forgot about me. I'm sick and I'm this, that, and another. God says, I promise you, just keep Keep on going. And don't give up. Don't lose your joy. But here's what happened in verse 40. Psalm 78, verse 40. is what I want to preach on this morning. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited, limited the Holy One of Israel. I want to preach this morning on limiting God. Putting a limit on God. And you can do that. You can put a limit on God. And Christians do that. We can do that to God. We can say, I don't know if God can do that. I'm not sure if God can do that. And we can limit God. And that says right there, what they were doing is they were limiting what God could do. They, yeah, they turned, verse 41, yeah, they turned back and tempted God and limited, limited the Holy One of Israel. Your conduct and your actions can limit what God can do in your life. And I want to preach on that this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Father, for your words. Lord, I thank you for these people. But, Father, I do pray for some healing, Lord God, in our, in our church, Lord God, with our church family, Lord God. We love them, Lord. We don't like to see them sick. Father, we do pray you would lay your healing hand on them, Lord God. If it's emotional, Lord God, I pray you lay your healing, on, lay your healing hand on their, their mind, Lord God, their spirit, Lord, Lord God, and heal them up that way, Father. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that there's somebody who needs the sound of my voice, Lord God, maybe listening in, wherever that might be, Lord, that... They don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father. They don't know if they were to die tonight, where they would go, Lord God. I pray, Father, by the end of this message, Lord God, that they'd get right with you. And they know when they bow their head and ask Jesus to save them that they were saved. And that's where they're going, up to heaven, Lord. And I thank you for a place called heaven, Lord God. And I thank you for these people that love you and came out this morning, Lord God. I pray a special blessing on them. In Jesus Christ, the holy name I pray. Amen. So they were limiting, limiting God. It said, yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. How can you limit God in your life? How can you limit God in your life? Well, let's look back at verse 10. 
Same chapter. Look back at verse 10. We're going to look at, this, we're going to look at these verses, and we're going to find out how a man or a woman, a Christian, can limit God in their life. And you can. You can limit what God can do for you. God wants to do so much for you. And you're limiting Him. You're limiting Him. You might have put a limit on Him. You say, well, God can do this much, but I don't think God can do that. When I pray for somebody, when a doctor comes in and says, this person has stage 4 cancer, and the family comes to me and says, my uncle has stage 4 cancer, and I don't think, the doctor says they're not going to live past 3 months. When I pray, I don't pray, Lord, give them the grace to bear the next 3 months. That's not how I pray. I pray, Lord, heal them up. Lord, get them off that bed of affliction. Lord, I pray that they'll get healed up. Does it happen? Not a lot. But it has happened. I don't try to limit God that way. Because I, I know God can do it. Now, does God want to do it? But look at verse 10. Psalm 78, verse 10. They kept not, now just talking about Israel when they came out of Egypt. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. And forgot His works and His wonders that He had showed unto them. So God had showed them all these great wonders in Egypt. In verse 12, it says, Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. Zoan, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. They seen all the miracles, and we talked about that just a couple of Sundays. We saw the miracles of God, and then when they get out of there, they see the literal Red Sea heaped up. The Red Sea parks, and they walk over on dry land. See, that verse right there has a lot, does a lot of problems for a lot of liberal scholars. Because liberal scholars, if you watch like A&E or Discovery Channel, when you have the, they always put the liberal Christians on there, and they say, well, that, was, that Red Sea didn't really literally part. What happened was there was marshy ground, ground so God, through Moses, led the, the children of Israel over the marshy marsh, the little marshy land, and their little feet got wet, and that's how they got across the Red Sea, and that's nothing what the Bible describes. None of it. You know what the Bible, the Bible says? There were heaps of water. That don't sound like a marsh. And it says that they walked over on dry land. There was no little marshy or anything like that. Just any time you see some idiot say something like that, take the Bible over that idiot. You'd always go out better because they look stupid. In the daytime also he led them with a the cloud and at night with a light of fire. That's amazing stuff. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. They're in the wilderness, they have no water, there's no, there's no wells dug, and God says, don't worry about it. And he just takes a rock and waters, literally rivers, streams of water starts coming out of the rock. You know what Paul says in Corinthians? He says, that rock, that rock was Jesus Christ. He brings us the living waters. And Jesus Christ says, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow out of your mouth, out of your belly, comes out of your mouth. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the rock. They had all of that. They did, brothers, think about that. Meditate on that. They seen all the miracles of Egypt, all the plagues, all that God did. They saw the Red River. They saw the Red Sea being split up. They saw all of that. They saw the rock waters just come out of the rock for enough for everybody to drink. And they sinned, verse 17, and they sinned yet more against him. By provoking the Most High in the wilderness, and they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. There was nothing good enough for them. But notice in verse 19, after they seen everything they had seen, they said this. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? 
You know, we're, ju we're just that stupid. I don't know how many prayers, I mean, amazing prayers we've seen answered at this church over the years. Glory to God. And we have people come up and give us a prayer. And I, I, there's sometimes I'm up here and somebody says, will you pray for so-and-so, so-and-so? And I'll write it down and I'll think, well, they don't have a chance. And the Holy Spirit will do that. What are you doing, boy? <laughs> they don't have a chance. What do you mean we don't have a chance? Lord, forgive me. I'm going to pray for them like they have a chance. I know you give them that chance. But it's so easy in our flesh to say, they don't have a chance. The doctor says they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. I mean, there's no chance. And can God furnish a table in the wilderness? After all they seem to like, can God? Well, God can. And God does, and God will. So the first way you can limit what God can do in your life is questioning God's abilities. Questioning God's abilities. Simply by saying, I don't think God can do that. You should never question God's abilities. The only thing you should ever question if it's God's will. Make sense? Because we pray and we pray and we pray, and I believe with all my heart, if it's God's will, He can do something, or He will do something. And sometimes it's not God's will. But sometimes it is God's will. And we see some amazing things, amen? Amazing things. I've seen amazing prayers. But it's not always God's will. But when you start questioning God's abilities... What you're doing is you're taking, when you question God's abilities, you're taking the faith that you have in God and you're putting it on to a doctor or on to a financial director or on to wherever you're putting that faith. And you're taking it off of God. Brothers and sisters, we just need more childlike faith. I know when I was growing up, I never came to my mom and said, uh, Mom, are you going to pay the water bill this month? Are you going to pay the electric bill this month, Mama? I'm really worried about it. I, I was out running around. I, Mama, I didn't worry about that stuff because it was took care of. And I had faith to believe it was going to take care of. What if she, but what if she didn't pay the electricity bill? I guess we do without electricity. I don't know. You're a kid, right? You don't care. Oh, good. We get to sleep out in a tent. This is going to be fun. You know? We don't have a house. Oh, we get to sleep out in the car. We forget how kids, they can do anything because they just trust that everything. Life is good. And they make life good. But as we get older, we start getting like the people in the wilderness. Man, I don't like this. I don't have a good enough car. God don't love me because I'm not driving a Cadillac anymore. God don't love me because I'm living in this house. I should be living in a mansion. And we have preachers on TV that are in promoting this nonsense. If you love God and you've been given to God, you'd be driving a Mercedes. You'd be living in a mansion. God wants you to have all that. God don't want you to have anything. God wants you to have the joy in the Holy Spirit. That's it. A kid has that. I was reading a story about this kid and he was praying. He was at his grandmother's house and his grandmother was, oh, she was, so, she was fretting over her strawberries. Oh, the strawberries. Oh, I don't have enough water. There's no water. All my strawberries are going to, they're going to dry up. It's going to burn up. And that little four-year-old kid says, Granny, I'll take care of it. And she looked over there and he had run over to the corner and he got down. And he said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, bring some rain for my grandmother's strawberries. Oh, Lord, they're going to burn up. Oh, Lord, bring some rain. And he got up and he got up from praying and, and uh, she said, well, are you praying for some rain? He goes, yeah, Lord's going to bring it. <laughs> so that grandmother says, how do you know? He said, because I asked. <laughs> so that night he went to bed. That morning he came down. Guess what it was doing the next morning? It was raining. That little four-year-old boy came down and he saw it was raining and he started shouting and he started glorifying God. He said, I knew the Lord would do it. I knew the Lord would do it. We need to have faith like that. Some of us are like, ah, it's not going to rain. I, 
I remember this, this old black preacher was having a, they, were, they had, had a big uh, prayer meeting for rain. They had no rain. A black preacher had them all come in and he brought them in. And he said, y'all believe God can bring some rain? And they're all like, amen, preacher. Goes, you really believe God can bring some rain if we pray for it? And they're like, amen, preacher. And he said, then where's all your umbrellas? Amen. If you're going to pray for rain, you better bring an umbrella. You don't believe it? Or do you believe it? Brother Hinky, there was a, a pastor named Brother Hinky. Give everything he had away. He'd just give it away, give it away. One time he invited a Christian friend over to eat. And he, he'd come home and he, he told his servant, lady servant, he said, hey, uh, so-and-so's coming over at lunch to eat. She says, I, I need to talk to you. So she pulled him to the side. He said, yes. And she said, you do realize we don't even have a dry piece of bread in this house right now. You've given everything away. The last bit of money I had to go buy bread, you gave to that poor person that lives down the road. And Brother Hinkie said, is that all you're going to talk to me about? Just set the table. Do what I tell you and set the table. Yes, sir. So he sits down at the table. His friend comes in. The, the, the servant sets the table, gets all the dishes out, sets the table. And he says, Lord, I pray you'd bring us some food, Lord. We, we thank you for the food. In Christ's name, amen. He gets to the prayer. And as soon as he said amen, there was a knock at the door. The servant goes up there, opens the door, and there was a neighbor come out, had a whole basket full of food. And the neighbor said, I just felt led to come down here and give you all this food. And Brother Hinky said, come on in. We've got it all waiting. We're waiting right here for it. Neighbor comes in, gives him the food. And the, and the story said that the, Brother Hinky looked up at the lady and said, you going to say anything to a servant? She just shook her head. You don't understand how you can limit God with the lack of faith. Questioning God's abilities. i tell you how I do that, brothers and sisters. I do that with men's lives. I see men and they're so ruined in sin. They're, so, they're drunkards. They're druggies. I see women, their face looks like they, they're, they're 40 years old and they look like they're 90. Just wrinkled up, been living the hardest life. They're, they're, they've been, they're hooked on meth. They're hooked on some drug. And you look at them and you're like, man, that lady, that, she has no hope. No hope. And the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, I love her. I want to save her. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. And we're limiting. We're limiting. I was reading a story about a young child that was, had no boots. His boots had holes in them. His dad was a drunkard. His mom didn't have any money. And he talked to his mom and said, Mom, I, I need some boots. Every time I go outside, my feet are getting cold. I can't hardly stand them. I want some boots. She says, Honey, I don't have any money. And the boy said, Well, I know, oh, I know what I can do. I'll pray and ask God for some boots. Why didn't I think of that before? So he got down, he prayed, he said, Lord God, please give me some boots, I need some boots. And he prayed all week for boots. Next day he didn't get boots. Fourth day he didn't get boots. His mom said, are you still praying? He said, yeah, I'm waiting for God to give me some boots. Neighbor came over, neighbor picked up the boy, had to take him somewhere, take him somewhere. She's walking outside and she's talking to the young boy and she sees a sock sticking out of his boots. She said, John, you don't, have, you don't have any better boots than that? Aren't your feet cold? He goes, yes, man, my feet are cold, but I don't have any boots. And I've asked God for some boots, and I think God's going to give them to me. So the neighbor says, come with me. The neighbor took him over to the shoe store and said, you pick out whatever boots you want. Young boy got home that day from his neighbor and came in and said, mama, mama, look what God gave me. God gave me some new boots. He must have spoke to Mrs. So-and-so's heart and she gave me some new boots. Through God. 
And he said he got down and prayed and said, Thank you, God, for my boots. Help me to be a better son to my mother. The problem with us, brothers and sisters, is that we forget how God works. It's like the old, it's like the old joke where the guy's sitting on top of the house and he's, he's in a flood and he's sitting on the, he's got, he got to the very top of his house, he's sitting on a flood and some, come, somebody comes by on the boat and says, Hop in, man, I'll, give you, I'll get you out of here. And he says, No, God's going to provide. God's going to save me. And the guy goes, okay, and he goes off on the boat. The waters keep rising, rising, rising. About that time, a helicopter comes by, and they're yelling down at him, hey, catch this rope. We're going to drop a rope to you and save you. He goes, no, no, God's going to save me. About that time, the waters come up, and he drowns. He's up in heaven. He runs into Jesus Christ, and he tells Jesus Christ, why didn't you save me? I prayed for you. Why didn't you save me? And Jesus Christ says, well, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. What else more can you ask for? Well, there's a lot of Christians. We see God move on somebody else's heart and help us, and we forget, hey, I need to thank God for that. You know, we think, Lord, give me, you know, we, we think, uh, Lord, give me, give me some money or give me, help me provide. And then you go to work and the Lord gives you a raise at work, and we're like, well, I, did, I deserve that raise. I was a pretty good. I... No, you need to thank God. We forget how we limit God because we try to. Put a limit on how God can work in a man's life. We think God has to come down with lightning. God has to have, like we've got to open something up and it's got to glow. We've got to have some kind of special feeling in our heart. Our, the, our hair has to stand up. We, got to, we have to get goosebumps. It doesn't work that way. God just works. And when God works, you can't see His hand. The perfect illustration of that, if you've never read the book of Esther, go home and read the book of Esther. And what you'll find out, the book of Esther, they wanted to take that book out of your Bible. Do you know why? Because when you read the book of Esther, God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. Not one time. Not one time. You never see the name Lord or God mentioned one time in the book of Esther. It's just a story about a queen, and she's a Jew, and then there's Mordecai, and they're out to kill him. If you never read the story, go read it. You know what's amazing when you read that story? You see the hand of God move on men's lives. And just by coincidence, after coincidence, after coincidence, all this stuff's happening. And a Christian says, that's God. And an atheist says, he's not even mentioned God. Let's take that out of the Bible. You're stupid. You don't understand how God works. You're limiting God. Let's not limit to God by our denial. Look at 2 Kings 7. Keep your hand here, but look at, go back in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 7. I'll show you a man in the Bible do that very thing. 2 Kings chapter 7. I'll show you a man in the Bible do that very thing I'm talking about. Just question God's abilities. Now here, he's going to question what God, God's words. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. So another way you can limit what God can do in your life, you can limit what God can do in your life by questioning God's words. His words. That's written in this book you have in your lap. Questioning what God can do. But questioning God's words when He says, I'm going to do this, and you say, well, I don't know if God's really going to do it that way. I'm not sure how God can do that. You're going to see that. Look at 2 Kings chapter 7. Verse 1. Now, before I read this, I'll give you the context. So, Samaria is under siege. The Jewish uh, king is being sieged. They're trying to destroy him. They're trying to kill him. They've got him surrounded. It's so bad that people are, people are paying like a... Let's see what it says here. They were paying uh, five pieces of silver for a piece of dove's dung. 
So a piece of Doug's poo-poo, that's five pieces of silver. That's pretty expensive. That's pretty expensive. And a, a, a fourth part of a cab, they, they, they were selling an ass's head for four score pieces of silver. That'd be 60 pieces of silver to get you an ass, uh, ass's head. It got so bad, brothers, the food, there's such a famine when they were surrounded and they had them, they had them about to destroy them. There's such a famine for food that people were eating their own kids. What the Bible says. Verse 29 of chapter 6, so, so we boiled up my son. People were taking their kids, the little babies, and boiling them up and eating them. That's how bad it got. So God shows up and says, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to help you. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, that's a prophet of God. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. He says, by the time tomorrow you're going to be able to buy a dollar and get you like 20 loaves of bread. Don't worry about it. Now that, how's that going to happen? Nobody knows. Amen? But God said it would happen, so... What are you going to do? Are you going to take his word or are you going to say that's not, it's impossible? Because the very next verse tells you that there was a man there, a lord, a man that ruled over some of the people there. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? He goes, if God was to even open up, heavens, open up windows in heaven and drop food down, how's that even, I don't know if that could even happen. How could he even feed us? And he said, Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. Uh-oh. He limited God, and God judged him. He limited God, and God judged him. For time's sake, what happened? Well, these two beggars are at the gates, and they're like, We're going to die here sitting at the gate. We don't have nothing to eat. Why don't we just go up there to, the, to, the, uh, to our enemy, go into the camp of our enemy, and let them kill us, and they can put us out of our misery. Maybe they'll, you know, we'll see. So they go up, to, and they go up there, and what had happened, God had sent the noise of war into the camp. And these Syrians, they wake up, and they're like, well, oh, yeah. and, and he sent the noise of war, and they just take off, and they go running. And the Bible says they just ran away, because they could hear people fighting all around them. So God scared them with some noise. So by the time these two beggars get up, the camp is empty. And the Bible says they go into the tent, they get food, and they're eating it, and they take gold, and they go and bury it. And they get into another tent, and they're eating the food in there. And they get the gold out of there, and they go bury it. And then one of them says, you know, this isn't right. we got people up there starving to death, and we don't tell them what's going on. So those two beggars go back, and they say, hey, the Syrians, they're gone, and the camp is empty. Y'all come on back here and get all this stuff. Nobody believed them. Why? Because they're two beggars. So God sends them out. I mean, the, the Lord, the king of that land sends them out with a horse. They go out, they find out that the, the story was true. So if, you, if, you're in that, if you're still in 2 Kings chapter 7, look at verse 16. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. Exactly like God said it happened, happened. Exactly. So what does that tell you? When God says it, you just... Believe it and take it literally. Unless you can't take it literally. Take it literally. There's nothing wrong with that. Amen? There is nothing wrong with just saying, God, I believe you and I'm swearing. You said it and I'm going to believe it. Now we live in a society that says, well, I won't believe it until I see it. Truth is, it might be too late. Because look what happens to this Lord. Verse 17, And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. He said, hey, go out there and take care of the gate. And the people trolled on, upon him and the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. 
So that guy that doubted God's words, that limited God's words, the king says, you go out there and hold the gate. And he goes out there and holds the gate, and the people are just like, there's food! And they just stomped him, trampled him, and killed him. I'll give you some really, if you listen to anything I say this morning, listen to this. Just believe what God said. Don't believe me. Don't believe a teacher or a professor. Just read this book and believe what this book says. You're always, 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 always going to be better off. When I, you know what? I, I have respect for a man, and I've had people argue with me about the Bible, but I have respect for a man that says, well, that's what God's word says, and that's why I believe it. Now, they might be taking that verse and putting it in the wrong place or whatever may happen, but I, I respect a man that can say, hey, I just believe it because God's word said it. So back in Psalm 78, let's, let's continue this and find out a couple more things that God, what they did to limit God. Psalm 78, verse 23. Psalm 78, verse 23. So go back up to verse 22. Psalm 78, verse 22. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. So it's a belief, in, it's not believing. Verse 23, let's read through this. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven. We just read about doors of, windows of heaven being opened. Here he opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. God was doing all this stuff to take care of them, to feed them. Verse 28, And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations, so they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. But look at verse 30. They were not estranged from their lust. But while their meat was yet in their mouths, mouths the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. Another way you can limit God, you can limit God by not controlling your lusts. By not controlling your lusts. Now, but lust is, that's something in your flesh, guys, we all have to deal with that. Some of it is a lust for power. Some of it is a lust for food. Some of it is a lust for sex. Some of it is a lust for attention. Just a lust, that your flesh, it lusts. And what lust does, lust is never satisfied. Lust is, ne you can never satisfy lust. That's why it's so dangerous. Lust is never satisfied. It only complains and gripes, and that's what they were doing. They, verse 30, they were not estranged from their lust. God was sending them this stuff, and they still were complaining. They still were griping. They still were. So, the way you can figure this out is, is do this. It's like there's two sides to each coin. On one side, you have lust. Lust takes, takes, takes. On the other side of lust is, the, is love. And love, what does love do? Love gives and gives and gives. So if you've got lust in your heart, you need, to, you need to take care of that. Pray and ask the Lord to help you get rid of that. Because that lust in your heart is going is to limit you, limit what God can do for you. Look at the next one, verse 33. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble when he slew them. Then they sought him and they returned and inquired early after God and they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. But look at verse 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. Another way you can limit God is giving God lip service. Saying one thing and not following through with it. Oh, I love you, Lord, but not... Doing what the Lord wants you to do. You know, Jesus addressed this in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, this is one of my, 
This verse right here is one I'd like to take in my Bible and just cut it out. <laughs> Say, I don't want to read this verse no more. This verse really convicts me because Jesus Christ told his disciples, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So many people say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I, I love God. I love Jesus Christ. But their lives don't show it. Their lips say it, but their lives don't show it. Their lives show something else. And that's how you can limit God. You can limit God by giving God lip service, saying one thing and doing another. Here's the thing with God. You can fool me, and people have. People have told me, oh, you're my best friend. I love you. I love you. And then they turn around and stab you in the back. <laughs> Y'all have all had people do that to you? They give you lip service, and then as soon as they get a chance, they stab you in the back. Because I didn't know their heart, right? I didn't know how they really felt. God does. So you can fool me. You can fool your best friends. You might even be able to fool your spouse, but I'm here to tell you, you're not going to fool God. God knows your heart. God knows where your heart's at. James, James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Let's close in verse 37. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So one of the last ways you can limit God, according to Psalm 78, you can limit God in your life is not giving God your whole heart. Not giving God your whole heart. They limited God for their heart was not right with Him. You know, Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ is talking to the Christians. He's talking to churches. And He says, He condemns them. He says, you know what? I've got something against you. You've left your first love. And sometimes, guys, brothers, we just need to fall back in love with Jesus Christ. Say, so, you know, my, heart is, my heart's too much on the world. Or I see this in men today, especially my Christian, my Christian friends. Your heart's too much on politics. Your heart's too much on what's going on in, up in Washington, D.C. Your heart's too much on what's going on in the sports world. You need to have your heart on Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with this other stuff, brother. There's nothing wrong with it, amen. There's nothing wrong with, you, you know, but when your heart is wholly given to that, well, you got a problem. And you've left your first love. Not giving God your whole heart, that's a major problem. We need to fall back in love with Jesus Christ. I want to close by saying this. I want to encourage you. I want to really encourage you. What are you limiting? I'm going to talk to you real quick. What are you limiting God from doing? Because I talked about how you're limiting God, you're limiting God, you're limiting God. And I'm going to tell you something. As a Christian that's been living as a Christian for about 30 some odd years, when you, if you will not limit God and you allow God to work in your life, you're going to see some great and wonderful things. You're going to see some amazing things. Like I was reading that, that email earlier. You'll be there and, the God, and literally goosebumps come on. They're like, wow. God's working. Wow. You're going to see some things. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you've if you never experienced this, you're going to see some, get some things God can do in your life you never dreamed of. You know what? I would have never dreamed I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. Never. As a matter of fact, I remember seeing Brother Packer preaching. I remember literally, I can physically, I, mean, I can literally remember in my mind saying, sitting there like, how does he do that? I could never do that. And God's up in heaven like, ha, 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 watch this. Because I made the mistake. What was the mistake? I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I thought that was a mistake. 
Especially when he's like, well, I want you to go over to Pensacola, Florida. It's like, I've never even been out of the state of Texas. I don't care about anything else. Texas is heaven to me. I don't want to leave Texas. Go over here to Pensacola, Florida, around all these Yankees, because they were all Yankees come down there. And they had, all these, they had all these nicknames for me, and I can't repeat them from up here. They didn't like me because I was from Texas. Because I had an attitude from Texas. And God did that, and God brought me back. And it's like, God, I, I, I like to teach. I like to teach. And God says, well, I want you to preach. I don't want to preach. God said, I'll tell you this story. Me and my friend Chad Reese. Chad Reese is coming in December. He's going to be preaching a revival for me. I love Brother Chad Reese with all my heart. Brother Chad Reese was with me in school, and they had this thing where all the preachers got together and they would preach. And it was, teach, it was, it was the preachers that were going to school to be preachers. These weren't like, these were just like, you know, kids, me, the people who didn't know how to preach. And it was called P. Ridge. And what they do, they give you 15 minutes to preach. And after you preach 15 minutes, they'd ring the bell. You only had 15 minutes. You went over 15 minutes, they'd ring the bell. It doesn't matter if you were in the middle of prayer. They'd ding, 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 shut up, get down. So he'd give all these preachers 15 minutes to preach. Well, my friend's like, we got to go to Pea Ridge. We got to preach. We got to preach. And I'm in my mind saying, I don't want to go. But they, they forced it on me, man. And so when they forced it on me, I'm like, I guess I got to go. So I got together a little bit of message. And I remember me and Ch Chad Reese and I, we were outside of the building. And Chad says, come on, brother, let's go. Let's go over here. And he took me over by some bushes. He said, man, I, I'm excited about getting to preach for God today. And in my heart, I'm like, I'm not. And he says, let's get down and pray. I said, okay, brother. So we get down and pray. And he's like, oh, Lord God, I want to preach today. Lord, give me the message, Lord. Let me preach. Because you only, only had so many people. There, there were like, might be 200 people there, but only maybe 10 of us would get their names pulled out of the hat to preach. Because you put your name in a hat and they pull your name out of the hat. And I'm down there saying, Lord, please don't let me preach. Lord, I don't want to preach. That's the last thing I want to do. So we get in there, and Chad's all excited, and we sit down. And, and of course, he has me sit down on the very front row. So we have a meal, and we get there. It's at a community center. We have a meal, have everything. We're sitting down there, and I remember sitting on the front row, and I was thinking to the Lord. I said, Lord, don't pull my name. Lord, please don't pull my name. Lord, please, I don't want to do this. Please, Lord, I don't. I, the last thing in the world I want to do is this, Lord. And they pull the first name, and guess who's the first name out of the hat? Coogan Hall. Oh. And you know what? Something came over me. It's like the Holy Spirit in me said, okay. I see what you're doing, Lord. It was like a sign. It's like a sign. The Lord said, I got, I said, yeah. And I got up there and I preached. It's probably the worst sermon you ever heard. I preached. And the Lord started, that's the first sermon I ever preached. And the Lord started using me. And poor Chad, he didn't get to preach one time that night. And he prayed and prayed and begged God to preach. God can do some amazing things. And if you would have told me one day Chad's going to be up in Michigan pastoring a big church, and you're going to be down to Indian Gap pastoring, big, pastoring this church for 15 years, and the Lord's going to be doing a mighty work in both y'all's churches, I would have never believed it a thousand years. And I'm not telling you God's going to call you to preach. I don't know what God's going to call you to do, but God will do some amazing things in your life. What you're limiting God from doing... Brothers and sisters, let me finish off, and I want y'all to remember this. What you're limiting God from doing is blessing you. When you act the way we, we, seen the, when we, we see how Israel acted, when you act that way, you're limiting God, what God can do for you. When you're a born-again Christian, God is your father, and you're a son. You're born into the family of God. If you have a child that's misbehaving, you can't bless that child while it's misbehaving. If you bless that child while that child's misbehaving, you're encouraging that behavior in that child. Now, there's not a parent left in America that understands that fact because they, they bless their child even though the child's act like a moron. Their child's in, in Walmart. Rah, 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 rah. 
right. I'm thinking, please kill that child. At least beat him half to death. And the mother's like, oh, you want, do you want this Hershey? Let me give you the Hershey. No, no, I want that toy. Okay, let me give you that toy. No, I want the other toy. Okay, let me give you $500 worth of toys and maybe you'll shut up. I'm like, just spank them. You'll save so much money. Just wear the rear end out. But see, in America, we don't do that. But God is a just father. He's a good father. He's a great father. He's not going to let you misbehave and then bless you. But when that child, when I had a son that was, I was raising, when that child did behave, when that child did what he's supposed to do, I'd give him the biggest blessings you've ever seen. Because I wanted to. And I wanted to bless my son so much. But I'd say, I can't bless you because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. If I tell you to take out the trash and you don't take out the trash, I can't come over here and give you a $5 bill or a $20 bill. But if, you, if I say, I need you to take out the trash, clean your room and do that, and I go in there and the trash is took out and the room's clean, I'm like, here, here, take $30. Go spend that. But when I go in there and the trash is full and the room is dirty, I can't say... I shouldn't say amen. Well, here's the $30 anyway. I should say, you need to get this stuff cleaned up. Then I'll bless you. So God comes in our life and God is a good father says, hey, I want to bless you. I want to do some. I don't want you to limit me in the blessings I can give you, but I'm limited because you will not do what I ask you to do. So God being a good father, he spanks us. He disciplines us. And sometimes we wonder, why is God doing this to me? God's just trying to get your attention because he wants to bless you. And brothers and sisters, I'll tell you something. You do want to be blessed by God. That's something you want. Because I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been on the fence where God's not blessing me and he's disciplined me. And I've been on the fence where God is blessing me and it's a lot better on this side of the fence. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. 
It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon Him.